Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, welcome to a view, no shit, I'll do that again, sorry I thought it was in the <laughs> Welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast, a podcast about Scottish football with a twist because of course there is no football on at the moment, so we're going to be discussing some of the things we've been watching, doing, taking and consuming during the lockdown. My name is Craig Telfer and I am joined by three men of differing stature. I'll start off, we have got the, the fastest man in East Lothian, it is Joe Sked. Currently Edinburgh. And, and Edinburgh, of course, of course, sorry, uh, I forgot that you, that's a, well, you've, you've ruined my introduction there, I thought I was doing you, I, 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 dude, saving some kind words for you, but those kind words were incorrect. <laughs> we have got the slowest man in Queen's Ferry, Gary Cocker. That's me, and it is because I am consuming literally everything in lockdown. Right, okay, I just want a big office blob. Yeah. Like, honey, I blew up the kid. (laughs) (laughs) Shaving off the beard has not helped. No, no, well, listen, Gary, we all have our crosses to bear. Uh, And and last of all, least, it is Kirkcaldy's most famous son since Jordy Monroe. It is Mr. Sean McGuigan. Hello there. He's all right? I'm fine. How are you? I'm I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well, thank you. I, uh, today, should have been... Falkirk versus Wraith Rovers, the, the, the final day of the season, the title, the title decider. Oh, However, I am, uh, instead of that, I am, I am here with, with you three. So, uh, I like I'm, how I'm you've picked that up enough. rather than Duncan's wedding. Yes, well, <laughs> no, that's, the, <laughs> that is, that's the, only, the only good thing about that is I felt, uh, I felt very guilty and actually quite pathetic when I told Duncan that I wouldn't be at his wedding. Uh, in the afternoon, I would just be attending the, the evening because I would be at Falkirk versus Wraith Rovers. And he said that he was perfectly fine with it, but he was not going to tell Sarah because she'd be absolutely furious. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's never kicked a ball in her puff. That's, that's what that is. She's never kicked a ball in her puff. She doesn't understand. I, would, uh, I, I was, I was kind of just hopeful that the season would get um, would be picked up again and Ray Falkirk would fall on the same day as uh, their rearranged wedding. <laughs> I did actually say to him that when, when, he, when he sent out the new, the new invite and the new date, I said to him, I, I shall be in attendance unless 
the, the league has been moved and it's Falkirk v Wraith on that day again. <laughs> well, listen, Sean, you had the last laugh because um, one, Duncan's not getting married today and Wraith Rovers won the league. Tremendous. Excellent. So that's, uh, that's good news. And all the best to Duncan. We're, we're, we're thinking of you uh, right now. I'd actually forgotten it was his wedding today until you reminded me there, Gary. So terrible if I'd woken up this morning thinking, Christ, what am I going to do today? And then it's... Uh, Big man's win, but nevertheless, we uh, we 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 kick on. As we said, we're we're not going to talk about football today because there, there isn't much to talk about. We're going to be talking about things we've been enjoying uh, during the lockdown. It's a great opportunity to connect with with media, music, cinema, television, and this is your chance to listen to us <clears throat> talk about it. So we're going to start with a section called My View, and this is what we've been listening to, what we've been watching over the past week. Joe Sked, what would you want to recommend first? So it's um, it's not so much a re- well, it's kind of recommendation, but I just want to say that there's no better duo out there than No Fielding and Sandy Toxfig. Okay, the presenters of um, the Great uh, British Bake Off or Celebrity British Bake Off, as it is at the moment. Unfortunately, Sandy Toxfig is I think she's leaving after this Celebrity Edition, but the uh, the they, they just make me very very happy. I think when you when you tune into Bake Off and it's uh, it's great to see what uh, for like the celebrity one the disasters and the just the normal one like what what people are capable of like some of the some of the stuff they have to do um, sounds so so complicated but it's those two that I feel that that make it that's what that's who I'm tuning in to watch is those two and their pattern because they, they they generally just wind up the contestants which is which is great they just get in folks road they needle um, through and. Paul Hollywood, uh, I love it all. Like, so that's that's really nice. You know, that sort of we we need to to bring that that sort of British spirit. You know, that sort of VE day sort of spirit. And what better way to do it than by sort of making cakes? Hey, once this all blows over, Joe, we should have like a a big street party in Edinburgh. Everyone bakes something, and brings it all out. That sounds that sounds nice. And maybe who knows? Maybe Sandy Toxfig and uh, No Fielding. We'll, we'll join. I would say this though: No Fielding is never someone I've been able to take to. I I, I didn't particularly find uh, Mighty Bush very funny, and I, I remember seeing him on Nevermind the Buzzcocks, and never particularly finding him funny there no. either. I remember him. So I remember seeing the Mighty Bush because Socrem, when I used to watch it, seemed to always push the Mighty Bush. They always uh, No Fielding would be on quite quite a lot, and it just seemed like comedy that just wasn't for me at all. I just I just didn't get it. But he is uh, he's uh, he's quirky. But I think he suits uh, he suits his role in uh, the, the Bake Off, and I think he really. To be fair, I think Sandy Sandy's the main one. She brings out uh, she brings out. You know, she's the main one, and uh, it's going to be a sad, sad day when she leaves Bake Off. But hopefully, she, she 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 maybe gets brought in to present um, maybe Sky's uh, production of Scottish Football. Who knows? What better way to recreate the, that sense of Britishness than by wheeling out a Norwegian midget? <laughs> <laughs> who's, uh, who's replacing her, Joe? Matt Lucas. Seriously? Aye. Uh, not a fan of him. Now, there's a show that has really aged badly in the space of about 10, 15 years. Oh, my goodness. If you go back and watch any old Little Britain, the number of cancellations that you know, would so result I, from it is... Yeah, Little Britain is Little Britain's really bad. I, I, for my shame, it's a, it's, it's something I, it's a sort of go-to thing I watch. You know, if you want something to have on in the background, 
Unfortunately mm-hmm. for me, it's, it's Little Britain and something that, that I tend to stick on in the background. So I've probably watched more Little Britain than I, than I care to admit. I will say that the, in the first series of Little Britain, there are some sketches actually are very, very funny. There was one uh, Des K, a sort of disgraced children's TV presenter working in a hardware store. And there was Ray McCooney, the, the, the Scottish guy who ran a, a hotel. And there was the first sketch of the, the guy who was looking to buy the, the pirate memory game. which was Ray McCooney. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is very funny. But then as, as it went on into the second and third series in the sort of Little Britain Abroad, it became, it became very nasty, a lot nastier, very just plain to, like catchphrases. Uh, and it really, really, really punched down. Uh, really, really punched down. And you know, I so really can't get on with. Sorry, I just really can't get on board with Matt Lucas or David Williams and Vicky Pollard. That was just one of the worst characters. Yeah, I it really, it really, really punched down. You know, like that, that, that to some of the more marginalised and, and vulnerable people in society, and to see that it was brought back um, for it was a, a sort of Brexit, not Brexit special, uh, a lockdown special where they basically had. I don't know how they filmed it, but they basically had two sides of the screen. They had David Williams and one and Matt Lucas and the other. And it just it was just it reminded me and it was obviously difficult to film, but it just reminded you how how bad a, a show it became, how dated it became, and just how, how not funny it was. Nobody asked for it, so I don't know why it came back. I don't did anyone ever see uh, Come Fly with me, the, the the next project that they worked on. I, I think I watched a little bit of it, but I think it's now more probably infamous for the clips that are on YouTube where there's a lot of, um, I'm trying to think of a polite way of putting this, minstrelization. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's black going face, on with, there's, there's yellow face. There's yeah. um, it's mostly just people, them dressing up as women. That seems, that seems to be a yeah. lot of them dressing up as women. I'd, I'd, I'd recommend to go and watch it, not because it's good, but just to see that it was made in 2011 and it really feels as though it was made like it would have gone back to back with Love Thy Neighbour or something like that. It's really, really yeah. bad. It hasn't aged well. And uh, to go back to the original point you're talking about, Joe, yeah, I'd, I'd uh, obviously he's not going to play as um, Marjorie Dawes, Matt Lucas. He's not going to be dressed as Marjorie Dawes doing it with uh, with no fielding. But I would, I would worry. Uh, Sean, what's your view? Uh, I think the trip may be the best British TV show of the last 10 years. So the trip to Greece, uh, I think went on Sky about maybe a couple of months ago. I'd, I'd actually forgotten all about it. I started watching it again, or sorry, I started watching it this week. And it's one of those shows where you or certainly I want to both binge watch and kind of save it because I don't really want it to end. And there's only six episodes as well. But it, it kind of ticks all the. It kind of ticks a lot of things that I like uh, watching on TV. So, uh, so essentially, it's Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, and they play kind of cartoonish, exaggerated versions of themselves. So, Trip to Greece is the is the fourth series, and the premises they've been uh, hired by the Observer to travel Greece. Uh, eat in some nice restaurants and and do some reviews for it and they it's almost like a a holiday and they spend time with each other and they do impersonations and wind each other up and I love cookery shows and I love travel shows and I like Steve Coogan and I like Rob Brighton so it it, it ticks a lot of boxes but it's the fact that it's although it's very funny it either ends or has a part of each episode where it's quite quite melancholic or quite 
sad. So certainly the probably the first series uh, was the one that highlighted it the most. So 10 years ago was, I think they'd, they'd done a tour of the Lake District, I think. Uh, and Steve Coogan would wind up Rob Brydon about the fact that he had uh, was a reasonable success in Hollywood and Rob Brydon wasn't. <laughs> at the end of each show, Rob Brydon would phone his wife who at that point was either pregnant with her first child or second child. But Rob Brydon would, was obviously blissfully happy in life, talking away to his, his wife and, and quite happy. But Steve Coogan would end each show phoning his girlfriend in America and trying to save that relationship. And she quite clearly wasn't interested in saving the relationship. So there's that kind of weird, uh, this is all very funny, but the episode would generally end on a, a kind of, like quite, a, quite a sad note. And they've always, they've always managed to, to keep that alive somehow uh, in each series. Although I think, I think this is the last series, which is probably as much as, as, much as A Trip to Greece has been as, as very good as, as, as the other three series have been. They're even starting to mention the fact that they are repeating the, the same jokes. So they do the same impersonations and they're, they're, they, they, they wind each other up about the same things. And there's only so long you can, you can carry that off. And they're still carrying it off in a trip to Greece, but I think if they if they do another series, it, it might be one series. It might be one series too many. But no, it's very good. Is uh, <clears throat> is the latest series? Is, is a, a lot of it just them kind of just sitting at a table? Uh, yes, but every single episode of every single series is just quite a lot of them sitting at yeah. a table doing the same impersonations. And it's strange because I. I don't really like sketch shows. I'm not a huge fan of uh, sketch show comedies because it's the same jokes every week. And yet quite a lot of the trip is, is similar, but it's, 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 done, it's done so well that it still, it still hooks me in. No, I'm I, a I, big, sorry, big fan of, uh, big fan of Steve Coogan stuff, particularly the, the stuff with Alan Partridge, you know, massive fan of that. And in terms of Rob Brydon, I, I obviously he's best known from, is it Glenn from? Uh, Bryn. Stacey. I think Gavin and Stacey's a load of toot, and I think that anyone who, who likes it should really uh, grow up. But I really liked him in Marion and Jeff. Did you ever see that? I don't think so. Nope. Never heard of it. You never heard of it? Oh, it's so it's like so funny. Effectively, it is. Uh, he played. I think the character uh, Rob Ryan plays a character. I think it's called Keith. His name is character. It might it might be wrong. Like, basically, but his his ex wife is Marion, and she's basically left him for a guy called Jeff. And it's all about that the, the car, just a camera is basically on the passenger seat, following Rob Bride, a taxi driver, as he stops to have, to have breaks and stuff, reflecting on the relationship and what went wrong. And he is, it's so funny because he's got this incredibly optimistic outlook, despite the fact that his, his wife has effectively ran off. And it's all about him telling these little stories about the relationship, seemingly oblivious to the fact that his wife was having an affair at the, at the time. And it's just these. You know he's got that big goofy smile like Rob Brydon, and that's that that really that sort of that that sense of optimism really really carries it through. It's very funny and, and certainly uh, well worth checking out. Gary, what is your view? I have only been watching one thing in lockdown, and the reason for that is I thought, what better time than lockdown to start a box set you've always meant to watch? So I've seen The Sopranos, I've seen The Wire. I've watched Breaking Bad, had to really chew through the first season and a half. I thought that was far too slow for my liking. But what I took to immediately was Mad Men. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, it is uh, seven seasons and it basically tracks a 
New York advertising agency through the 60s, so from 1960 to 1970. So I've still got the last couple of episodes to go, but it's fantastic. It, it doesn't treat you like an idiot. So there's certain things that happen that you're just supposed to, uh, or it infers that certain things, no, sorry, it implies you infer uh, that certain things have happened. Um, the characters are pretty well sketched out. They've all got their flaws. It sticks pretty closely to what I imagine it would be like in the 1960s. So in terms of uh, the way that the men act, um, both at work and in their relationships, um, in terms of the role that women are allowed to play in the workplace uh, and its treatment of ethnic minorities as well. So it's quite good from that angle, but it's also just very entertaining. Um, and it's also just... I think the first couple of seasons in particular, the the speed at which things move within the ad agency and the way that things are done is, you know, very interesting, I would say. Um, the only, it's not really a downside, but the only thing is that the final season is perhaps not as good as the others, but that's like saying, you know, that a quality football player, um, like when Roy Keane turned up at Celtic, he might still not be that good and not playing for as good a team as Man United, but he's still Roy Keane. Um, and that's what happens to Mad Men in the end. And there's a couple of things that things that get quite repetitive. Uh, it won't surprise anybody to know that the if anyone's got any vague idea about Mad Men, the main character Don Draper is this um, borderline alcoholic womanizer. So every season has him womanizing, uh, and there comes a certain point where he begins to just laugh at it because it's it becomes a little bit predictable, but it's not in a lazy way. Um, but so Don Draper is, is a horrible character. I know he's, I know oh, yeah. he's like the, the 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 main character of it in your, but I don't know if you're supposed to root for him. But he's he's a, when you, when you look at him as a as a character, he's actually he's horrible. He's quite despicable. Yeah. I mean the worst the worst character for me is actually his wife Betty Draper. She is an absolute pain. But then when you actually think about everything else that's going on, you can maybe understand why she is a total pain. Um, and I'm looking forward to finishing the season because once I finish it, I will be able to Google um, the various uh, op-eds and articles I'm sure there are about why she's just misunderstood. Um, but no, I can't stand her. But you're right, Sean, there's not a single character in it that is sympathetic. I think there's only one character I can think of who's written out after a couple of seasons. I don't want to do any spoilers for anybody. Um, <laughs> yeah, Telfer's putting his fingers in his ears. But no, I can, I can really recommend it because it is also, unlike, say, The Sopranos or The Wack... Well, no, sorry. Unlike The Sopranos, The Sopranos is 22 episodes a season. So it's a fairly hefty slog, whereas with uh, Mad Men, it's 13 episodes. So you can get through it pretty quickly. I think it's still on Netflix. One yeah. of the reasons that I was hammering through it was because it was supposed to be coming off Netflix at the end of April. So, oh, shit. Uh, Oh fuck! I've just missed it. I've missed it then. <laughs> I think it's still up, though. I think I think they renewed it for another three months. I could be wrong, um, but no, I would highly recommend if you haven't seen it yet to tick that off. Um, I would put it up there with. I always thought that The Sopranos and The Wire were the top tier, and then you would have maybe Mad Men, Breaking Bad uh, in the second tier. But I would place Mad Men up in that tier. Fair play. Very enjoyable. Fair play, Gary. Just pick you up on something. Uh, Sopranos. There's actually only thirteen episodes. Uh, it's See, it, maybe it just feels like there's more than that. Maybe that's a feather that in the cap of... Is that, is, that, is that a nice thing to say? I don't know. I always thought that... 
I mean, with Bill the Sopranos, Sopranos the Bill Sked shaking his head there. I would, I would say that's not a, not a compliment to the Sopranos. No, but, it, Mad Mad Men. I, I I it took me a while to get into it. My mate kept pushing me, and he uh, and he gave me the, the box sets, and I did manage uh, to get into it. It was really really enjoyable. The uh, but the my, my main takeaway, two takeaways was firstly, well, his street. Uh, what's um what's what's her name? Uh, Christina Thank Hendricks you. and Janet oh, Jones. Wow. Uh, secondly, uh, Pete Campbell, the character Pete Campbell, uh, he is very hard to like, but he's like one of the best moments was uh, was him in an elevator and uh, someone asked him just how it's going and he just shouts, it's not not great, Bob, not great. Yeah. Uh, just fantastic. <laughs> the only time I've seen, I haven't seen Mad Men. It's one of those things I've, I've been meaning to get it because like, I've, I've watched Sopranos. Sopranos is the best thing I've seen. Uh, the Wire, loved it. Other than season five when it kind of, it's you know it's built on so much realism and series five kind of where you've kind of undone that with that the daft storyline don't want to spoil it in case anyone's seen it i really like breaking bad although breaking bad by then breaking bad became incredibly uh just ridiculous there's a scene in it where they're trying to steal um all this this sort of chemicals from a train you know the episode i'm talking about they basically isolate yeah. a train yep. carriage and it's like this is just it's, it's brilliant to watch, but it's just so, 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 so ridiculous. Um, but I was going to say, my only, I've only seen John Hamm in a couple of things, but he's very, very good in Bridesmaids. Yeah, and once you see Mad Men, it becomes even more bizarre because in Mad Men, he's this very cool, calm, collected customer. So to see him in Bridesmaids be this uh, sort of slightly unhinged, you know, happy-go-lucky guy is is very entertaining. There's a lot of other good actors in Mad Men. So there's um, John Slattery, isn't it? He's in later he's seasons of Arrested Development. He's in other stuff too. He's fantastic as Roger Sterling. Who do you play um, in Arrested Development? He plays, it's not one of the early seasons. It's the season where they're in Mexico. Right, that doesn't count then. So if, it goes past, if it goes past season, no. it doesn't count, mate. It, it doesn't actually. Um, but he's in it. The, I forget Elizabeth his name. Moss. Elizabeth Moss, she's a big character in it. Um, you see, I think you see Elizabeth Moss's name attached to a project. Um, that's just it's usually good. You just know it's a sort of seal of approval. She's just generally yeah. very good in everything she's in. And I think is it Richard Harris's son, who was the main character in Chernobyl, is in it as well. Um, British actor, Red Hair, he's really good in it too. Jared, um, Jared Harris? Jared Harris, that's it. Uh, and there's others that pop up throughout the, the season, either as, you know, love interests or, um, you know, uh, other characters. And they're, so it's a, it's a high quality cast. Excellent. Well, that's definitely something I can see. It's still on Netflix, Gary. So uh, hopefully it's, hopefully there's another wee while for it to go. I just, I'm, I, I, I'm just watching some horror movies and stuff at the, at the moment on Netflix. It feels though. But if I was to, to, to really get into Mad Men, you have to sit down and watch it and, and take it in, whereas yeah. a lot of the stuff I'm watching is just on in the background uh, while, I'm, while I'm working from home. But the, the stuff that, that I'm, uh, my view at the moment, I'm really getting into the Final Fantasy VII remake. Are there any gamers here today? No. <laughs> no. Play FIFA. It's okay. FIFA doesn't count. FIFA doesn't count. I'll, I'll go through this really quickly then. Uh, basically, Final Fantasy came out in 1997, uh, so I would have been about... Uh, 10, 11 at the, at the time and it was a ma- massive game massive game for me I absolutely loved it and there's a remake has been touted for the best part of a decade I think 
Uh, but for whatever reason, there's been delays and and so on. And it finally came out last month, and I am I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I'm about three hours into the game. I'm in the the slums after uh, after the opening level, and it's astonishing. The game looks amazing. There's some the, the very opening scene. I was like, my goodness, this looks absolutely incredible. And you really get a sense. You didn't really get this in the 1997, but in this this game, you really get a sense of the consequences of your actions. It feels like you're part of this living breathing city and that what you do is directly uh, affecting these people so I'm really keen to to see how it um, progresses from there only real criticism so far is the combat I've, I was weaned <laughs> as it were on the, the classic ATB system okay that's okay <laughs> uh, basically everyone would take turns to, to have their move uh, but now it takes some getting used to whereas you're, you're sort of like fighting constantly anytime you're close to enemies and it just feels I'm smashing buttons at the moment. It doesn't really feel there's a lot of nuance to it. But uh, Craig Cairns and, and Tony Anderson of this parish have, have both played it, and they say that you get better at it as the, the it becomes more nuanced. So that's certainly, that is uh, that is that is my view, and I look forward to getting into that, as well as Mad Men, The Trip, and Bake Off. See, now, uh, see a, a question on, on Final Fantasy. So as a, as a non-gamer, there's obviously a big hullabaloo about Final Fantasy 7 yes. where the games before and after Final Fantasy 7 excellent or considered classics or what is it about Final Fantasy 7 that makes it this kind of uh, standout Final Fantasy 7 I've never played uh, any, any of the prior games I've never played any of the prior games but Final Fantasy 7 was the first game that came out on the, the PlayStation and it really I mean, it was heavily, that's that's where I first saw it was being advertised on television. It was one of the first uh, video games I can remember being advertised on TV. And seeing seeing it, like all the, the, the gameplay and, and the graphics as a, as a young, impressionable boy, like guys cutting around with big swords and monsters being summoned and this sort of, this sort of juxtaposition of, um, this sort of juxtaposition of, you know, sort of urban settings with fantasy elements. I found, I found that 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 incredible, and it was a it was a great game to play. You know, a good storyline, very engaging, all the the various bits and pieces you could do. So I think it for people my age, it, it left the mark. And subsequent games, Final Fantasy eight, nine, and ten are all very good. Ten in particular, that was the first one released in the the PlayStation two. That was really good, and I haven't played any of the games since. But I think it's Final Fantasy VII really opened up the sort of JRPGs to a Western audience. I think that's that's what it is. That's a sort of a, a benchmark in that, and it is still considered to be one of the greatest games of all time. Although I played it, I, it was a 2018. I played it, and I felt it. The graphics have aged quite a bit, and the storylines a wee bit clunky in parts. But this is something that I've noticed in the remake is sort of being fleshed out, and there's a bit more more depth to it. But I, you, you just mentioned something there. I know we're going to get onto stuff that grinds our gears, but you talked about seeing it as an advert. I hate it when you look, uh, when adverts of games come up, and then in the bottom we've got not actual um, gameplay footage. <laughs> wow. Oh, really? Aye, there's a, there's a lot of stuff. A big problems was a game uh, a few years ago called Aliens Colonial Marines, and the way the game was being advertised, it was being advertised as a like basically the sequel to Aliens, you know, the, the, the James Cameron, excellent movie. Um, so th- this game was seen as the direct sequel to that discount Alien 3 and like Alien Resurrection and all that. It was made by a company, Gearbox, and they showed it at one of the game, you know, like E3, the equivalent of that, and it looked amazing. And it, so everyone had, had incredibly high hopes for it. 
But when it came out, the, the, the graphics were downgraded. There was big problems with AI. There was, there was all this sort of stuff like, you know, like the Xenomorph in, in Alien. It's very, very clever. Like, it's sort of like, like the raptors in Jurassic Park. It learns, you know, it, it stops attacking. It attacks one part of the fence and then, then realizes it won't <laughs> attack the same part twice. It's sort of the, like the Xenomorph is, is seen like that. And this game was just basically just shooting, and it was rubbish. And people, there was actually a class action lawsuit brought against the developer of Aliens Colonial Marines on the grounds of like sort of false advertising uh, for that. So there's an interesting wee bit of video game uh, lore there, which I'm sure everyone is is uh, looking forward to, to to listen. But anyway, enough about enough about video games. Although man, it's better when we talk about video games again. <laughs> This is Secret Sauce, where we talk about an actor, a, a, a character, something that, that perhaps doesn't get the attention it deserves until now. Joe, what is your Secret Sauce? My Secret Sauce, I'm actually going to music and Deacon Blue's album City of Love. Wow, came, this was just released uh, earlier in the year. Yes, released earlier this year, and it is the album I think I've listened to most this year. It's certainly, certainly the album, uh, an album that's been released this year. It's the one I've listened to most. I, you've, you obviously you've talked a lot about uh, Deacon Blue before. Uh, you've uh, did the top your top ten songs on Twitter, and I think Rain Town is your favorite favorite album. Yeah, Rain Rain Town's one of my favorite albums. Love it. Uh, so I've. I've obviously grown up in Scotland, you know, uh, you, you've heard of Deacon Blue, but I've never really gone to their back catalogue, dipped in once or twice. But for some reason, I just started listening to Sight of Love. And I think it's a consistently brilliant album. There's, there's not a song on it that I, that I dislike. It's 44 minutes of just really pleasant and enjoyable listen. It's every time I go and start working in the morning, put on Spotify, put on a song and Spotify just know me so well. It's like, oh, do you want to just jump back into City of Love? I was like, yes, I will jump back in <laughs> and uh, it'll, uh, it'll bring my mood up. It's, it's, just, it's, it's really good and I really enjoy the final, the final, um, the final track. It's called On Love and it's, it's a bit um, Arab strappy. Uh, but it's uh, seven minutes eleven. It's a bit of talking, a bit of singing. It's uh, it, it's really enjoyable, and I thoroughly recommend it to anyone. Has it made you go into their back catalogue? Uh, no, uh, not yet, because I'm still listening to it, and I just want to keep listening to this one. But it's it's one which I will go back and go back and listen. So, for example, like "Chocolate Girl" is one of my one of my favourite Scottish songs. But it's uh, this this album is uh, at the moment it's, it's it keeps dragging me to it. That's that's astonishing, you know. Like I think for for, for most people, Deacon Blue sort of golden years were from from Raintown up until what was in the final album. Whatever you say, say nothing. So they went on a run of four albums um, from the eighties into the the, the mid nineties, and and I do think I truly mean this. I don't think there's a better singles band than Deacon Blue at that period of time. Everything they were releasing, they were every single that was coming out was getting absolutely knocked out the park. And that is like Dignity, Wages Day, Chocolate Girl, Real Gone Kid. Um, only tender love your town. Like there's a back-to-back classic, twist and shout, back-to-back classics, and they split up. That's when Doogie Vipon pursued his uh, television career, and they they reformed in sort of like was it 2001. And I think a lot of the stuff since 2001, I've, I've gone back and listened to. I've not listened to um, City of Love, but it's it's good without ever really being great. There's only a handful of songs that sort of really uh, prick the ears. And I think as, as interesting as, as Deacon Blue are probably seen as a legacy band, where if you work, say, for instance, you go to a Deacon Blue concert, 
nobody's really going to be screaming for on love, apart from yourself, Joel. You know, <laughs> so it's good to hear that they're still able to to produce good songs that that are, that are consistently high standard. And this is something I will go back and listen to now. I will go and listen to to City in Love to see if it lives up to the lofty standards of uh, their their earlier work. I do. I, th- I think it's. Uh, I think you could for you. You should be able to tell the. Um, that they've that they've aged since like the likes of like Dignity, Chocolate Girl, and, and into this into this um, into this album. I think it's um, not more mature. I don't think that's the right way, right phrase to use, but it's, it's certainly um, there's there's there seems to be more experiences there. And Ricky Ross, of course, big fan of a view for the terrace. So uh, fair play to him, uh, Gary. What is your secret sauce? Well, I've gone with. It's a type of video game, if you will, but I feel like it's uh, one that all the good brothers listening to this could actually incorporate into their lockdown. So we're probably, uh, well, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us will be doing, you know, Zoom quizzes and, you know, things like that to try and pass the time. And it's probably now getting to the stage where, what, six weeks in where you're beginning to get a bit exhausted with it, um, just because there's only so many times people can ask you, uh, 1977 to 2011, one country had a flag which was only one colour. Name the country and the colour. Questions like that. It's Libya and green, if you were wondering. But uh, what I have found in recent Zooms is that there's now a few uh, apps that you can download where you can actually play a, a board game or some sort of game together while being on Zoom. So last night we were playing Psych. So Psych is uh, an app where... Um, Basically, you're given, there's different packs, different types of things you can do. So like you're given a word and you've got to come up with a false description of what that word actually means. Or you've got to, uh, you've got to come up with, uh, you know, in Texas, it's illegal for blank. and You've got to come up with something. Um, so it's quite it's fun. It's better than a quiz. Um, I won it several times last night, so I'm really keen on it. Um, I've also got a link to an online Cards Against Humanity game. So there's, uh, lots of different ways that you can actually. Sorry, so it's, it's, no, I was just saying it. So, a psych, a psych is a game. Yes, so the game is called Psych, um, which I will happily share with anybody who's interested in it. And yes, all please. you need is a code. It's like Zoom. Um, you just need a code to join it. Um, so, it's, it's just something a little bit different rather than people doing quizzes or I think House Party has some games up at the top that you can play together. Um, but this way, you can play it on your phone and still have a chat on Zoom. Um, I'll take you up on that Gary I've got a Zoom date later this evening so I'll be keen to maybe put Psych to good use Is this is uh, is, is it a Zoom date number one? Is this a continuation of other Zoom dates? Actually, I think this is Zoom date number nine Crikey oh. Well, anyway, save, uh, save this one for, for not on, on, online uh, save, save, this for, save this one when we stop pressing the recording button I was, I was, on, a, I was on a Zoom quiz last Friday it was um, it was Matt, it was Jenny, it was, probably should have given names away, but I was on, I was on, a, Zoom, I was on a Zoom quiz last, uh, last week, and uh, there was a, a girl on it who usually does it with her partner, she, but she did it on her own, she was absolutely steaming, and she was accusing other folk of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on it, it was really, really funny. At the time, I was like, why am I spending my Friday night doing this? But it was, it was, it was hilarious, there was a lot of animosity. 
I, I, I'd done one last Saturday where the, the host of the quiz, so it was 10 rounds, so it went on, it went on quite a while. So we started about just oh. after 8 o'clock. And he, to be fair, he seemed absolutely fine when the, when the quiz started, but he did, he did tee things off with, uh, he said, I've been drinking in the back garden since 2 o'clock this afternoon. And you're like, right, okay. But by round 10, he was so bluttered, he couldn't read or talk anymore. So I actually had to abandon the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> My, my my secret sauce sort of carries on from from my uh, my previous point of video games. Uh, the the Uncharted series is available for free on the PlayStation Store. Uh, if you have, if you got access to PlayStation Store and you haven't played Uncharted, you really need to get it. Especially if it's going for free, it's um it's like a Tomb Raider for men or Indiana Jones for boys or, or whatever that sort of comment is. There's a uh, there, there's punching people. Finding treasure, doing puzzles, shooting guns, pretty girls, more treasure, more punching, uh, climbing rocks, all sorts of stuff, man. It's an amazing fun to play. But my, my secret sauce is the character in those games, Victor Sullivan. You guys are looking at me blankly there. You've never played Uncharted? I'll, I'll Sounds go good, quickly. You've, 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 you've certainly sold it to me. Right. I'll just rattle through this quickly then. Um, Victor Sullivan <laughs> is the emotional heart of the Uncharted series. A lot of the focus is on Nathan Drake, of course. He is the protagonist. He is the main character who you control. But uh, Victor Sullivan, he is uh, Nathan's mentor. He is the father figure to it. And, and he really does provide that emotional core. Um, he keeps Nathan grounded. He's, he's very funny. He's a, sort of a, a good soundboard for Nathan anytime he's got these sort of madcap schemes. Uh, and there's a scene, particularly in Uncharted 3, that almost brought me to tears involving the pair of them. I, I won't spoil it in case anyone's going to play it, but it's a fantastic game, and Sully is, uh, is a great character. Sean, what is your secret sauce? Uh, I have, I've went for a director, so I've went for Ari Aster. So Ooh, I, like, yeah. I, I love films. I, I love films, I love watching films, and I don't really understand people who who don't like watching films. So like, like my mum, for example, has just... Like alone. <laughs> she's just subscribed to Sky Movies. And she said to me during the week that she's going to get rid of it because there's nothing good on Sky Movies. And well, look, like Sky Movies is just, it's just all the films that's been at the cinema and now they're in your living room. So if you don't like Sky Movies, you, you, you probably just don't like films. No, there's nothing good on it. Right, okay, no worries. A so, man who is tired of Sky Cinema is tired of life. Exactly. Uh, so I, I get very excited by directors who have, uh, I suppose, instant success. And I, I start to, to... So Quentin Tarantino, for example, had success with Pulp Fiction. And, and it made you think, right, so is he going to sustain that through his career? Or uh, Frank Darabont had success early on in his career with uh, Shawshank Redemption. Well, actually, he didn't really because that was a flop. But it is a, regarded as a, a fantastic film. So Ari Aster has directed uh, Hereditary and is directed uh, Midsummer. So I know you I know you are you're going through this odyssey at the moment Telfer about watching dreadful horror films. So I, I I'm a big fan of of horror and Hereditary is probably the certainly one of the best horror films I've watched in in the last few years. There's a couple of I've actually got, uh, sorry Sean I've actually got it on DVD. I've just not watched it yet. I've had it for about a year or so but I've not watched it. Uh, I it's it, it's excellent. It goes a bit uh Oh, I, I won't. I won't spoil it. But it's, I, I, I thought it was excellent. And I, 
I'm the opposite to you, Sean, is that I, I just can't watch uh, scary movies. I've seen Hereditary, the trailer at the, at the cinema, and was, uh, I was ready to just go back to my house and just sit in the room <laughs> with the light on. Tony, Tony Collette gives one of the best performances I've seen in, in many a year, and, and one of the best performances, could, I, I know horror is generally considered as a, as a bit schlocky uh, for the majority of it, and, and so you don't necessarily see fantastic uh, performances in horror films, but Tony Collette is exceptional in it, and I don't think she was nominated, there it is, there's Hereditary, uh, Craig Telford is holding up, I don't think Tony Collette was nominated for an Oscar, but, but she probably should have been because she's fantastic in it. So he followed it up with Midsummer, which I watched, uh, I think I watched it the first week of, of lockdown. I enjoyed it. However, what I would say is it feels almost like a remake of The Wicker Man. Yeah, I've, I've read the plot on Wikipedia. Very, sounds very, very similar. And it, it's, it's very much a, a, a kind of folk horror. If you're going to put it in a, a, a sub a sub category of the horror genre it would be it would be folk horror and I, I enjoyed it but I, 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 I wanted to enjoy it more and it was so so similar to, to, to The Wicker Man uh, so I, I do wonder if Ari Aster is maybe a one trick pony or whether whether he can continue to, to churn out these, these good films Sean I, uh, I was reading about uh, Ari Aster on Wikipedia and you can get this on YouTube it was a college project that he made it was a short movie called The Strange Thing About the Johnsons you can get it on YouTube it is <laughs> I won't spoil the plot, right? You've t- you've talked about this before, haven't I've you? Talked about this before, yeah. I um, go and watch that. It is fucking horrifying. But horrifying in a in a in a, in a good way, or a, no, a bad no, way? As, as in your your uh, social sensibilities sort of way. All right, okay. okay. It is like I'm too pure taboo, pro- proper taboo uh, sort of stuff like that goes beyond the realms of of uh, I. Just go and check it out. Go and check it out. It's on YouTube. Uh, watch it. Watch it once we finish this. And uh, go and uh, re- report back to us and <laughs> let us know what you think. Um, I see. So we've done... Gary, we've done your secret sauce. Yes, we have. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I'm, 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 I'm confused. I, should, I always think I should go last, but I'm trying to mix, mix up a wee bit. Uh, so apologies. Sorry. did this with Big Duncan last week. I, I moved on to the next topic and forgot to ask him uh, one of his, uh, his stuff. So I just added another... You forgot to ask the man who watches seven films, reads three books and listens to 20 podcasts in every single day. But is he happy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, he's very happy. He's a cultured man. You've got to ask yourself that. Now, speaking of happy, what makes you unhappy? What grinds your gears? What yanks your tits? What twists your melon? Gary, you were the last person to speak, so we'll just go to you first. What is grinding your gears just now? Facebook community group. A phrase which should strike fear into the heart of any <laughs> sensible person. I was trying to find the worst offenders in uh, my suburban ones, but unfortunately I couldn't find them all. But I've got one example for you. Yesterday at 9.36, lots of people having chips at the binks, no consideration for social distancing, and who's left to pick up their litter? Us. Well, no, no, you don't have to pick up their litter. But this gets to the heart of it is that for the most part, the community Facebook groups, I mean, it's a mix of local businesses saying, look, we're still doing takeaway or we're still doing this. We can come to your house. That's all great. That's all well and good. No problem with that whatsoever. People trying to hawk their old used baby chairs and things like that. Eh, well, you know, at least they're just trying to, you know, reuse, recycle, circular economy, all that. No problem with that. 
It's the people who go on rants and then it's the hundreds of comments underneath them. And I just don't understand it. I know that we're all locked in our houses. I know that everybody is, you know, having a time that is less than ideal. But there was one comment, right, where um, the psychopath outside my house, a couple of people took horses along it and the horses shat everywhere. And somebody, it wasn't me, somebody put a photo of the horse shit everywhere and said, could someone not, uh, you know, if you're going to walk your horses along the cycle path, can you not come and clean up your shit? And that started, and I'm not joking, I'm not exaggerating, it was about 380 comments, but there was an argument between the pro-horse lobby and the anti-shit <laughs> lobby. And it just, <laughs> it just blew my mind. Um, it's, it's the fact that people, and it's the same people, so it's the same names you see coming up time and time again, um, lots of complaints about people not socially distancing in Tesco, etc. And I know it must be annoying. I know it must drive people mad. But does it really drive you that mad that you're going to go on Facebook and put on a very long screed about it and then argue with people for hours? I don't like conflict. I don't know people. You're still reading it, though, Gary. You're still reading it. Uh, this is the thing. I read it and it just it, it grinds my gears. You know, it's something that was exactly a... what this category is meant to. Uh, there was someone in the mirror, Gary. I read it was a. Uh... It was a there was a community Facebook group, and one of the women who lived in the street, she didn't come out to clap for carers, right? She she'd said earlier in the group that she wasn't going to come out because something to do her daughter wasn't feeling well, all that, so she couldn't make it out. Mm-hmm. And yet somebody posted, "Oh, I saw that that so and so wasn't out clapping, citizens, everyone okay, you know?" And it's just these are Facebook groups, that, and and this is sort of coming to like the the problem with clapping for carers. I can see it. I think it started off as a a worthy cause you know, to show solidarity for the, the, the people in the NHS who are doing a great job at the moment. But I can see it sort of going the same way as like, uh, oh, you're not wearing a poppy. Mm. <laughs> yep. You know, that, that sort of thing. And it's There's... just, it's not for me. It's, it's sort of taking something that, that should be good and sort of twisting it and adding that sort of that, that almost that fascist, fascistic, is that, that's not the word, that, that fascist uh, twist it and it's not I think it's just, it's just a simple it's like with a lot of people it's just a uh, simple case of oh look at me I'm better than you ah yeah it shouldn't be like that because class no. is, a good, is a good thing it is a, it's a worthy thing but then it gets it's gets getting a bit bit twisted when you saw that that video of the boat on the river Thames doing donuts you know <laughs> for fuck's sake we have uh, we have we have we're looking through the other end of the telescope but well, what grinds my gears is uh, is Ricky Gervais's Afterlife. Uh, you guys, you guys seen it? I know, but I'm strapping myself in. I've I've not seen it, but you are you're one of the few people I have seen who has uh, been very very critical of it. Yeah, I think the the problem I've got with uh, with Afterlife, I. I Obviously, Ricky Gervais is a mega, like, very, very, very popular comedian. He wrote The Office. The Office is one of my all-time favorite TV shows. You know, it had a massive influence on me. I watched it when I was like 14, 15. I still quote lines from it. I still can watch it and still find it funny. But ever, everything he's done since then has sort of been like a, a poorer version of it. So I thought Extras was, was good without being great. There's some brilliant scenes in it. But it's, it's good without being great. And it's particularly the final episode of Exodus is very, very heavy-handed and very overly sentimental. And I think that is a, a, a criticism of, a, that has sort of dogged Ricky Gervais through, throughout his, his career since then, that where a lot of his stuff, it's not, as, it's not particularly funny and it really tries to go for sort of like unearned emotional punches. 
and, and that's effectively like what what after Afterlife is like. I watched it. Was it at the weekend? Watched every single episode from the first season, second season. Just binged it. Watched it all back to back. And it's about a guy called Tony, who his wife has died from cancer. So he's just decided, well, I don't want to live anymore. If, if she's not alive, I don't want to live, be alive. And if um if I've got to be, I don't want to basically, I don't have to be nice to people. He's lost his humanity effectively. And so it's basically him for twelve episodes going around being not nice to people. A lot of the the punchlines come through swear words, like he calls a kid a cunt. That's the joke. That that that's that's a joke. There's a scene in it where an old woman uh, calls people cunts, and I suppose that's the punchline there. It's an old woman that's that, that's swearing, that, making the most of that Netflix license. There's a guy who a, a guy who sharts. He's on stage and he follows through. That's the joke. It's a it's a guy a guy a sort of fat guy dancing who who follows through. Um, and it's just, I think a lot of Ricky Gervais' stuff is just like, oh, I'm the only sane one here. Look at all these idiots I'm around. And I found with, uh, with Afterlife, is everything is unearned. It's heavy-handed, maudlin, sentimental. And really, I, I saw a lot of people, I say mostly foot, Scottish football players, tweeting how much, how much they enjoyed it. And I'm just thinking, it feels like I was watching a different show to them. They only laughed out loud once. And it's a scene where his brother-in-law, who's going through a divorce, uh, goes to the pub and tries to chat up a woman, and that's very, very awkward and, and actually very, very funnily done. They sit at a table next to them, and they try to, you know, they say, "Is anyone sitting here?" And they're like, "No, it's fine," and go back to their conversation. And the guy's like, you know, trying to he's trying to tee up, uh, speaking to them, and it's a situation that I'm sure we've all probably been in uh, uh, at some point. But the rest of it, just not for me, not for me at all. Didn't well, laugh once, didn't cry. That the scenes at the end, which are really being played to try and get you on side. Like it's all really, really emotional, sort of like minor key music. It just, it just didn't work for me. And I think that that what I've seen, I think Ricky Gervais is a hack. That is, uh, that is it. I think he's a hack. I, I've seen the, I've seen the first season. It wasn't. I, I think I'm somewhere in the middle between yourself and the Scottish footballers you mentioned. <laughs> who love it. I, I think I would, I would probably need because uh, I suggested watching the second season. Haven't seen it out, but I think I might need to go back and and watch because again I didn't I, I didn't I wasn't really um I, I didn't think it was bad, but like I said I don't think I laughed out loud too much, and I listened to if you <laughs> if you want to get angry Craig I would suggest listen to Russell Brand's interview with or podcast with Ricky Gervais. Uh, Russell Brand does uh, like a subscription only one, but this is the one he released for free. It's an it's an hour of those two speaking. Um, I would be keen to hear your thoughts on that hour of uh, podcast um, gold. Gary Shandling. Yes, ah, it's uh, excruciating. Gary Shandling absolutely does him. Yep, very very funny. Uh, I, I, I read a I read a I read a piece that was written, I think a few years after that interview, and there there was a suggestion that they were both playing a role in the interview, and they weren't. It wasn't just like a normal interview. They were almost playing characters in the interview, but I, I kind of got the impression that that was just uh, Ricky Gervais trying to Save defend it almost. No, definitely. I mean, Ricky Gervais, yeah, come, it's uh, Gary Shannon absolutely, absolutely, uh, absolutely buzzing in that. I think another thing as well, Ricky Gervais doesn't seem, I know you're kind of only going by Twitter, uh, and but he uses it a lot. And it just, that's other things. Well, a lot of the characters in Afterlife just seem like ciphers. For us, there's a bit where they talk about religion, and that allows him to say, like, "Oh, I'm an atheist." You know, all, all this, like, just fucking shut up. Who cares? He just—he seems like like 
he's really thin-skinned and really insecure. You know, like I think when people criticize, I've seen people in the past criticize his work, and he just goes back to, well, look how wealthy it's made me. You know, just like that sort of stuff to me is quite small time and, uh, and, and, and quite insecure. But it doesn't, you know, despite the fact I don't like Afterlife, but it doesn't change. The, the Office is still the best thing I've ever seen. It's still got the one of the best climaxes to any piece of television I've ever seen in my life where Don comes back in to the office. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful moment. Uh, Joe Sked, what is grinding your gears at the moment? So originally I had this down as uh, just a simple Netflix, is when you go on Netflix and it just automatically plays a clip from that show. It's like, you know, how you, you zip through and... Oh, that's helpful. I find that really helpful. There, there's times where just like, just, just shut up because I've, I've, I can't decide that I just, right, I'll just leave it, I'll come back to it. And it, just, it just starts playing like, shut up. But no, uh, the, the main one is, so I've been watching, I've just finished watching Hunters on Prime. So that is the... Um, Al Pacino uh, leads a gang of uh, basically Nazi hunters. But it is the, this, 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 this series, I thought I enjoyed it, but it really hammered home how sometimes it's so frustrating to watch a, a show where like the protagonists just make constantly are uh, either too stubborn or make some stupid decisions. The biggest one f- for me of all time is in Jurassic Park. Um, when they're, the kids are stuck in the car and she grabs the, uh, grabs a torch or the flashlight and just starts waving. Even even on my 300th watch, it is, I'm screaming like, what the fuck are you doing? But in, in Hunters, it's it's like that. It just seems to be that all the time. Everyone's just really pig-headed and there's, there's, no one does that more than, the, other than uh, Al Pacino, the lead is Logan Lerman plays Jonah Heidelbaum, a young mathematics whiz who... Um, but he gets in and he's just one of the most, despite, despite hunting down Nazis, he's one of the most dislikable characters in a show which has Nazis because he constantly <laughs> just, he, he constantly just makes decisions or goes, like just, the, the, the shows where it just seems like every, in every episode, it builds up where it's like, oh, okay, you know exactly what's going to happen here because they are, they've been told one thing, they've been told to do something, but they're just going to do the opposite. And it just kind of follows that, uh, follows that mold in every single episode. And it just, it just got so frustrating. It's like, just, just, just listen to people. Yeah, I think that, that, that sort of stuff where characters do willfully stupid things that, that, that when you, as you as an audience person, like you can maybe see in Jurassic Park, you can maybe understand because it's a T Rex. You, know, you don't come across them every day, and she's got like a bloody <laughs> yeah. old girl. You know, so you've but, got a degree of sympathy for them. But when you're watching a, a, a movie or something, and, and the characters are being like willfully stupid for the contrivances of the plot, I find that something that that's really annoying. When when you just become exasperated with, yeah. with it, that's something that that really sucks your eye. I can I can. So, so it's like Jurassic Park. It happens. It happens. What like kind of it's once a one moment, but in Hunters, it's like every single episode. There's like two or three moments in that, and it just it just gets very grating. Sean, what grinds your gears? Uh, following on from the Nazi theme, I, I, I dislike the fact that there doesn't seem to be any uh, kind of consequences or repercussions in politics anymore. So, yeah. and the reason this, the reason yeah, this is kind, the reason this is kind of in, the reason this, that made me think about this was it was either beginning of this week or end of last week. Uh, somebody tweeted the fact that it was ten years since Gordon Brown called that, that bigoted woman from yeah. Rochdale a bigoted woman. Yeah. 
there was obviously consequences of that, so it kind of hastened the demise of the Labour Party. It kind of done Gordon Brown in, in terms of a, a, a frontline politician. But you fast forward 10 years, and on both sides of the Atlantic, you've got uh, America and Britain, who appear to be well on the way to having the, the worst uh, kind of death rates for uh, coronavirus. But it, it doesn't seem to matter what they do. You know that kind of there's not going to be any any kind of repercussions for either. I mean, you've got you've got Donald Trump literally suggesting that people should inject uh, window cleaner into the lungs or, or whatever he suggested, and then you've got the you've got the Tory party who see. I mean, I don't know if you watch The Apprentice, but you know how you you'll occasionally watch The Apprentice, and every now and again there will be a week where one of the teams has an utter disaster. So they'll need yeah. to uh, they'll need to come up with an ice lolly and sell it. And every single thing they do is a disaster. So they'll, <laughs> the, the flavour of the ice lolly will be, I don't know, carbonara. And then they'll, then they'll, they'll have to try and sell it to, to retailers and their pitch is a disaster. Then when they, they try and sell it uh, on the street, they'll go somewhere where there's like no footfall. Literally every single thing they do is a disaster. And that's been the Conservative Party for years. And you know that when we get to the next election, Donald Trump will win easily and everybody will vote the, the Tory party. It doesn't matter what they do. Everybody votes for them anyway, and uh, it, it really, really does my tits in. Do you remember there was a? I think it was was it last year there was a, a there was a Conservative Party dinner, and there was a climate protester that came in, and one of the guys basically just grabbed a lassie and and like really forcefully they pushed her up against something. They pushed her into something. Should he grabbed her by the throat? I grabbed her by the throat uh, against a pillar. You know something, and you would think you would look at that and think, "Fuck me, that is so heavy-handed. That is such a disproportionate way to to behave that, and nothing happens off the back of it." You look at like the, the Conservative Party uh, with the testing, we're, we're going to get 100,000 tests done. And say, oh, we've done it, Senate, we've got 120,000 tests done. But then we actually break it down. It's like, well, 40,000 of those have been posted out, which, which shouldn't count, but you're including them with the numbers. That's the sort of thing that you would, where, where you would you'd be like, well, what's going on here? And then, then, oh, great job. It's just, it's all spin. Like, like they say that, oh, we're, all, we're on course to do a great job. And it's, Oh man, you can say you look at London and, and a city like London and think, well, London's like unique. There's not many places like that where there's people sort of like living on top of each other. Quite like that. So you can imagine, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm just, I, I find it infuriating. Whatever way, however, however means you want to measure it, uh, the, the, the Tory party are bad eggs. Clearly bad eggs. And the fact that people want to vote for them. As uh, as as incredible, but but I fair play. Everybody's Bor- Boris Johnson. Corbyn's a traitor. <laughs> Boris Johnson getting coronavirus is one of the better things that's happened to him. <laughs> but you know something? It's well, not. I mean, obviously, you don't wish because uh, of the, because it, because there'll be a lot of sympathy, like kind of sympathy for him. He always oh, he's fought through it. British W like oh, V spirit. Fucking, but he's the guy that boasted about going to hospitals. I went and, and shook hands with 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 many with, hmm. with coronavirus patients, and it's that sort of attitude. That's sort of thing where, where earlier, where it's like, don't take it seriously. That's probably why it's taken people so long to, to go into lockdown. I'm sure it was the weekend before we went into lockdown. You were seeing lockdown taking place around Europe, like, like other, other places around Europe, like Italy, for instance, was in lockdown. And this is sort of where, where a lot of people were sort of thinking, well, you know what I mean? I'm probably going to stay in. You know, I'm probably going like, to start, start social distancing and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And people, and then there was people where the parks were full of people. And it all goes back to, to not taking it seriously in the in, in the first place. And you know what? If he gets coronavirus, that was entirely entirely his fault for for doing it. I mean, like, 
just ridiculous, right. man. Just ridiculous. It's been so so shabbily shabbily handled. And the, the, I saw that the you know some for all the stuff about like oh we're, we're we're over the peak of it, brilliant. And and like papers like the Express cheering cheering on. You're forgetting that, that as you said by by any metric, it's been handled handled terribly. That that we are next to the United States, we're going to be like the worst country. The UK as a whole is going to be one of the worst countries. Uh, for, for like deaths per like per population, and it's just you're forgetting that people. I mean, I I know someone that that's passed away from 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 the coronavirus. It just feels like these people are are being sort of forgotten. That all oh, brilliant, aren't we doing such a great job? And and, and we're not, we're not. <laughs> On that sort of uh, melancholy note, we'll, we'll finish up with with, uh, with a, a what to watch. We don't have. Tony Watt here to, to, to tell us what he's what to watching. So I'll ask you guys, uh, Gary Cocker, what are you what to watching? Now, I've, I've taken this in a slightly different route because uh, the way that this was described to me was something you would recommend to the daft marks with more money than cents. <laughs> so I thought, if you are a daft uh, mark... Do not, do not uh, give a group chat a, a, a peek behind the curtain here. <laughs> It's exactly what I've done. But what I thought is, what what advice would I give? And I think at the moment, a lot of us are buying a lot more online. We're not spending daft stuff. We're not spending money in a daft way uh, when we're out and about. You know, we're not spending a tenner on lunch at Brett Amonje or whatever. You know, we're eating in the house. So, you know, Brett, a little bit of Pret. Um, We're all saving money that way. So I think that's leading a lot of us to go on, you know, classic football shirts or whatever it might be and waste our money that way instead. So my little uh, what to watch is um, there's a couple of websites, things like Swagbucks and Top Cashback, where if you buy, if you're doing online shopping, if you log in through them and then go to uh, the website through that, then you can earn sort of like loyalty points, which you can then turn into free money. So if you're going to be spending hundreds of pounds on online shopping uh, on popular websites, try out one of those. What's the catch? It's, it's just, I'm just being a little bit like Martin Lewis here. Um, <laughs> there's no there's no catch other than that you sometimes have to wait up to a month to get the, the points to come through to you. But then it's like Tesco Club Card or something like that. And if you, if you use uh, Martin Lewis has got a code up this week where once you get 10 points, you get an extra, or sorry, once you get the equivalent of 10 pounds worth of points, he will give you an extra 20 pounds for free. Can't really argue with that, can you? You can't. No, but but, I, I can uh, tell you're being very cynical about it, Craig. I can tell. I, I, no, I shan't be. I, I shan't be using swag bucks. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if Palace shirts are on swag bucks. I'll, I'll give you that right, why, does, why does, when I get criticised, everything sort of come back to Palace? Leave, oh, leave, oh, sure Bedil leave Palace out of it, or Bedil Syndrome. That's kicking <laughs> yeah. for Bedil Syndrome in Palace. Um, but no, just generally, um, given that we're all doing a lot of online shopping, just shop about because there's always, I've always ignored them, all these sites about, you know, oh, look at this, you know, use these codes, but you can actually, uh, if you take a little bit of time before you complete your shop of unnecessary goods, you can actually save yourself a wee bit of money. Right, so that's uh, that, that's very good. It's probably probably the most sensible sensible thing we've heard all all morning. Uh, Joel, what are you what to watching? I am what to watching 
race across the world. Oh, yeah. the, the BBC, the BBC show. So I, I, I can't remember seeing uh, like season one advertised or when it, I don't even when it, when it was on, but started watching it earlier on the week, went through it and on to season two. Now, season one, won't give any spoilers away, but it was the climax and the finish of it was, it kind of replaced losing to Celtic or Rangers or Hibs in the last minute by for a last minute goal. I've never been so distraught and despondent about a, about a TV show uh, finish than I have been uh, watching Race Across the World. It's, if no one knows what it's about, it's five, five pairs, so couples, friends, um, relatives. Basically, so the first season was they started in London and had to get to Singapore using without any flights. So um, across um, basically kind of Eurostar trains, boats, anything they could they could do, and they've only got the uh, budget of uh, the cost of a flight from London to Singapore, and they need to make it across. And I think it took about fifty fifty five days or something. And a lot of the, a lot of the people are are hard to take to, but eventually some some um, some pairs eventually improve and uh, get kind of grow cl- closer together but mainly it's just the cinematography i think craig anderson said this on the group chat is just absolutely outstanding and if you're looking for travel tips uh going for, uh, for when we eventually get the lockdown i would very much recommend race across the world the first one is like i said london to singapore they go through places like uzbekistan kazakhstan um and like places that you never think of going to, but they look spe- well. Certainly, race across the world make them look spectacular. And this season two is from Mexico City to Ushaya, which is the southern most southernly city in the world, I think. Uh, in the, the bottom of uh, bottom of Argentina. Oh wow! So it's honestly, it's just it's just so good. It's the um, to me, man. That sounds amazing. Yeah, so I, I, would, I would very much recommend it. And if you get if you get invested in it, like I did in the first season, I was I'm still not over it. So I, I'm, I'm comparing it to when Hearts got beat by Celtic three two in two thousand and six when we were in a, a title race. We were winning two one at Tynecastle with a few minutes le- uh, left, lost three two, and that's that that's that's the kind of level of uh, despondency I was at. <laughs> See, uh, I, I, I've watched both series and I, I think it's absolutely excellent. The, I, I don't know if I don't know if you're the same as myself, but see the the husband and wife couple on the the second series. I can't remember the wife's name, but the husband is is called Robbie. Yes. And I, so she's one of my least favorite characters uh, on television of of recent years. So she's she's constantly telling people that her pants are up her bum. So that annoys me. And I know that's, I know that's kind of like a quirky thing, so you can laugh at that. I totally appreciate that. But what I, what I really dislike her for is the fact that her, so her husband has been in, he has been in an accident recently. And so he's lost the, the majority of his hearing. So he's got, like a, he's got a hearing aid. And part of the, the thing that she talks about why they wanted to go on the show is the fact that Robbie, her husband, has, his personality has changed since the accident, obviously because he, he's, he's trying to adapt to his new... Uh, to, to the disability that he now has and she, she keeps going on about how she wants the old, the old Robbie to, to come back but during the, the six episodes it's, it's, it's fairly and I appreciate you can, you can put a lot uh, down to, to editing and things like that but Robbie literally appears to be one of the nicest people you could ever meet and she is really really nasty to him during quite a bit of the show and actually it's I, I feel during the show it's her 
personality that needs to change rather than rather than our rather than our husbands. So that was weird because because you, you always find yourself rooting for one of the one of the pairings. And it was strange because I really wanted Robbie to do particularly well, but for him to do well, his wife would need to do well, and <laughs> I, I, I couldn't stand her. Uh, but no, it's a, it's a it's an excellent show. I so I've watched I've watched the first watched the first episode of the second season last night, and immediately I was like, I dislike her. I dislike <laughs> her massively, and like I said, he seems like really nice. The first time you actually kind of meet them is when they are they have interviews before they actually go, and he he's saying one thing. And then she just completely contradicts him. It's like, oh yeah, I think we we'll work well together as a partnership. It's like we won't work well together as a partnership. It's like you, you, you're just, you, you know, you're just a cunt. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sean, uh, she's no nice. Sean, Sean, what are you what to watching? Uh, what to watching? So recently, uh, uh, it's been a total coincidence, but the the bulk of the stuff I am watching on Netflix has been. Uh, from the kind of rest of the world, so it's stuff, uh, kind of subtitle stuff. So I started watching uh, Money Heist, which I'm not entirely sure about. I've only watched the first episode of that. I watched uh, The Platform, I think it's called. Yeah, which it's is, all right. Uh, Spanish film, which I thought was uh, good or at least interesting for about four fifths and then had a, a, an ending which Hopefully I didn't I. really understand or didn't appreciate. Yeah. And I started watching a. So I, I still watch The Walking Dead, and I still quite enjoy The Walking Dead, although I don't dislike the fact that it's, it's essentially become a soap opera rather than a, a, a horror show. But the, I started watching something called Kingdom, which was recommended on a... I listened to a horror podcast called The Evolution of Horror, and they speak about it quite highly. So it's a, a Korean horror series that's set in... I'm not entirely sure of the, the century, but it's played during the kind of feudal times. So it looks like it's probably about the 1700s or so. Uh, That's been nostalgic for you. It's a, yes, absolutely. I, I remember those times well. It's, uh, it's a bit uh, overly dramatic at times. The, the acting isn't great, but it has. Uh, it, it's very difficult to do new things in horror, and it's very difficult to do new things, especially with zombies, because zombies are quite... They're mindless, so it's quite difficult to do new and interesting things with, with zombies. But they, they do manage to do that in, in Kingdom. And I've just watched the first series, and unlike a lot of Netflix shows, it doesn't outstay its welcome. So uh, I think Duncan mentioned this last week, that a lot of Netflix shows, they're, they're flabby, and there's just essentially too many episodes. But Kingdom is only, it's only six episodes, they're about 45 minutes each. The first series ended on a, a really, really good cliffhanger. And I am about to about to pick up the the, the second series, uh, which is which is also on Netflix. So I would, if you're if you're keen on zombies or horror, I would I would recommend it. Nice one, man. That sounds sounds good. Uh, and I am I'm what watching. Uh, it's not out yet, but earlier I think it's two weeks from now. The 1975 are going to be releasing their new album, Notes in a Conditional Form. Uh, I know the 1975 are not for everyone. I saw Gary Cocker grimace there. <laughs> it's it's more because I've not really listened to them and I'm not sure like both they and the Hold Steady are bands and the Twilight Sad they're the three bands I feel I should be listening to Twilight uh, listen if you want to listen to the Hold Steady go and uh, listen to Bruce Springsteen if you want to listen to Twilight Sad go and stick your head in a concrete mixer but the 1975 <laughs> their latest single If You're Too Shy Let Me Know is definitely one of the songs of the year it's very good extraordinary 80s FM 
radio to it. And it sounds like it could be slight out something like out Pretty in Pink or Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Absolutely magnificent song. And it's when you listen to it, it sort of sounds like something you've, you've already heard before. Absolutely amazing. Uh, and they're, they're really on a hot street just now. And I'm really looking forward to this album coming out. Again, I know a lot of people can't really take to 1975. They don't like Matt Healy. And that's completely understandable. I think he's a wee dick. But the, musically, I think they're, they're a band who are very eclectic and they, they, really, um, they, they, they really push the sound that I'm really excited to see where they go next. The, I, uh, I'm always a bit out of touch when it comes to, to new music, but because I've now got more time on our hands, I, uh, I subscribe to a, a podcast which kind of promotes up-and-coming Scottish artists or, or new Scottish songs. I go, I'll give this a bash and I'll try and I'll, I'll see what's happening. So I listened to one podcast all the way through and I thought all the songs were terrible. And then I listened to a second one. And I thought all the songs are terrible. And I mean, you know something? It might just be because of my advancing years. I just don't appreciate uh, new music. And then I started listening to the third podcast and I realized that I was listening to it at 1.5 times speed. So all the- <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that all the songs were rubbish. I was just listening to them speeded up. <laughs> actually, actually, I I quite enjoyed the third podcast. <laughs> right, okay, well, that's incredible. Did, did you go back and listen to the first two? No, no, but I, sh- I should. You're right. I should really revisit them and uh, and engage them again at the proper what's, speed. What's the What's the podcast? Uh, oh, was it, is it something that Vic Galloway does? Uh, I can't remember. It's basically just all Scottish songs and Scottish yeah. artists. No, Tell- very interesting. Just, I think going back to something that Gary said there about the, the Twilight Sad and uh, the whole steady, these are sort of bands that, that Craig Fowler gets into. Like Craig Fowler's obviously knows more into his hip-hop music. You can imagine uh, Craig Fowler's never been in the same room as a guitar in his life. But anytime he listens to them, I've said this before, it reminds me of that episode of Friends where Joey says he's he's got the Porsche and so he starts dressing up wearing all the Porsche branded gear. That is just how I imagine when, when Fowler went and see Twilight Sad, he's got like the, the Twilight Sad cap on, the Twilight Sad <laughs> fanny pack, Twilight Sad t-shirt, Twilight Sad uh, bomber jacket. Uh, aye, fair play to him. The, just, just what you're saying about the 1975, the, when I'm listening to bands... For example, two two bands that I've, I'm sure no one likes but me, uh, Pigeon Detectives and the Cortinas. Like when I, like the first the, the, the first album is like right. That's that's all I want from them. Like I just, I don't want them to stray stray from that kind of music. Yeah. Um, and so when you when you hear one when you hear one album, you kind of you hear the rest. The 1975 probably the first band where I've heard their first album. Thought right, okay, that's that's the that's kind of their genre. And then they, they, they kind of change up, but they, yeah. even when they've changed up, I, it's still still enjoyable. Yeah, I think there's 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 a that's something I'm, I'm really really impressed by them. I think it's when the first album, I I, I think the first album's pretty pretty good. I think it's a wee bit too samey. That's that's the only thing for it. But they changed it up for the second album. The second album's excellent. The third album they pushed that even further. They incorporated a lot more sort of like electronic music, a lot more like sort of like garage. There was even even elements like garage and dubstep in it. And, and with this one, like every single, I mean, the, the lead single off it was "People," and that sounded like, um, geez, oh man, it was all like like distorted, overdriven vocals. You know, it was something really quite nasty to listen to. And you think, well, this is we're really going in a, a completely 
different uh, direction here. I think uh, eclecticism can, can hold some bands back. Sometimes you do want a wee bit of focus from your band, but I do think the 1975 are certainly all the better for it. Maybe that's it, Joel. Maybe the pigeon detectives should embrace a uh, two-step. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Pigeon Sex's first album. I'm there with you, Joel. It sets. They didn't uh, need to release anything else. They could have just left it at that. It's, it's a masterpiece, and if uh, if Craig 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 for links, the 1975's first album was say but well, wow, <laughs> <laughs> with the Pigeon Detectives. I was actually due to see them next Saturday. Oh, that's uh, one of the the many many casualties of the <laughs> yes. Pigeon Detectives live tour around the UK. It's, uh, I, I think I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. I think that's a good way to spend an hour and a bit on a Saturday morning. Indeed. Absolutely. I, yeah. I've, I've kind of just got one last question and it's come back, uh, comes back to Sean's quiz last week. So how, how, did, the, how did it end? Did the, the, the drunk guy just fall asleep or did he just have to put himself to his bed and use it all just kind of just still there on your computer thinking, what next? So, so basically we tried to, we, we tended to coerce him into reading the final five questions, but we couldn't, we couldn't get him to do that. Then his, so he got married recently. So then his wife appeared, but she'd also been drinking all day. So we tried to get her to read the last five questions. She couldn't do it. And afterwards, she phoned up uh, two of my pals and shout, <laughs> she shouted at them for, uh, she said that we were slagging off her husband and we should have been sticking up for him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to, to 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 end the quiz, what we did was it was it was myself and Barry that were leading, and Ian done a tiebreaker question. So I think there's been, I think in the 1970s, five teams won the European Cup, and we had to name them. So Barry got five, and I only got four. Uh, so Barry won the quiz. So we, we did have we did have a conclusion uh, of sorts. Just Bayern Munich, Ajax, Feyenoord. Aston Villa. Or were they the 80s? Uh, and Liverpool might have been the last mm. one. I think that was the five. I, I didn't get Forest, certainly. They might have been the oh, 80s. Was were they? Listen, listen, listen. Save the football chat for another podcast, right? That's not what people are here to listen to. Right? We'll finish up there. So I'd like to say, Joel Sked, lovely to see you. Thank you. Thank you. I've very much enjoyed my time. Gary Cocker, thanks a lot. Yeah, it was good to see you too. All right, mate, try to say that a little bit more sarcasm next time. <laughs> and, uh, John a pleasure as always. Thank you very much. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, remember, keep on listening to the podcast. I'm going to sneeze. Uh, oh, bless you. Hell. You can edit Once that. Once um, Sorry, Rosa. Uh, yes, uh, thank you very much for continuing to listen to us. There's still great content from, from the, the guys at the Terrace all the time. It's astonishing. You really have to, to say we're doing a decent job when there's no football on yet the content is still never anything less than 9.5 out of 10. Thank you very much for listening and take care and we'll speak to you again soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.